Uh, it is a privilege to gather together as the people of God. And uh, we turn our hearts and minds to the Word of God now. Uh, we return to the Gospel of Mark. Some journey it's been so far. We began the Gospel in February 2017, so we're just a few months off of being two years in this precious book. I know I sound like a broken record, but I know of no other book that makes the argument verse by verse so specifically, so explicitly of the importance of living life fixated and focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when we think of the gospel, we rightly think of Christ. And yet when we think of Christ, I truly believe we need to think of more than simply the gospel or the benefits of the gospel. Even though when we uh, plumb the depths of the gospel, when we evaluate the diamond that the gospel is, we see all the glories of Christ there. But when we do indeed often separate the benefits from the benefactor, uh, we can miss out greatly. I think R.C. Sproul was correct, and my heart echoes this when he remarked, quote, I want people to love the Lord Jesus, not just for what he does for them, but for who he is, end quote. Not only what he did, but who he actually is. That's laid bare time and time again as you go through the gospel narratives to realign our hearts, to realign our joy. I mean, we go out into the world each week, do we not, where there are, where we are literally bombarded with circumstances and situations that seek to steal our joy. And yet when we love Jesus for not only what he has done, but for who he actually is, we can truly weather any storm, find hope in the darkest of times, find healing for the broken of heart. When we fix our eyes on him, fixing our eyes on him is not some type of just stargazing, but it truly is star amazing, if you will, where we study Him and get to know Him and truly treasure Him. And one of the things that is evidenced when we come together as the Lord's people each and every Lord's day is that we are evidencing what we truly treasure. Are we not? We are evidencing what we truly treasure. So we are a people most privileged to be able to come and to be able to worship and to spend time in His Word. And this morning, a little more of who He is will be unfolded for us. And it's been my prayer, and it is my prayer, that a little more joy in Him, and a little more satisfaction in Him will be garnered by each and every one of us as we look at our passage together. And so let's turn our attention to Mark chapter 11. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're working our way verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. And we find ourselves this morning in verses 27 to 33. That'll be our heart's focus this morning. And so follow along with me in your Bibles as I read Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through to verse 33. They came again to Jerusalem. And as he, that's Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. 
and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people. For everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we have, uh, it has been our delight uh, to worship you. Father, we are people who are in desperate need of your mercy each and every day. We are people who are in need of your grace each and every hour. And so we want to come rejoicing in the fact that you have redeemed us, that we go by the name redeemed, that we are the children of God. And at the same time, Lord, we want to acknowledge our great need for you and for your instruction into our life. We are prone to wander. We are prone to begin to seek satisfaction from things that never truly satisfy. Lord, help us to treasure this time that you may get all the glory through the life that we live as we leave here. And may we leave here a little bit more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I said a few Sundays ago now, as we began chapter 11, and as we reached the arrival of King Jesus into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry that ended with a bit of a fizz, you recall, that the remaining six chapters of Mark reflect the final six days of Jesus' earthly life. And what we'll see today is a, another day and a head-on collision by Jesus with the religious leaders of Israel, the religious elite of the nation of Israel. This is the same group of leaders that Jesus has said three times now, and he's told three times now to the twelve, that, and he said it with prophetic precision, that they would condemn him and deliver him to death. And so we'll wrap up chapter 11 this morning, and as chapter 11 wraps up, the intensity and the hostility ramps up. I have four headings for you. I want to give them to you right up front for you to hang your thoughts on, for you to write your notes on. We'll see number one, an attack in verses 27 to 28. And then we'll see an answer in verses 29 to 30. In verses 31 through to the beginning of verse 33, we'll see an avoidance. And then in the latter part of verse 33, we'll see an absence. And so let's dive right into the text. Let's get underway with number one, an attack in verses 27 and 28. It's here in verses 27 to 28, we are confronted with this group made up of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. It's here we see the Sanhedrin. That is who makes up the Sanhedrin. This is not the entire council of the Sanhedrin, but this is a group of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are, were the most powerful group 
in the nation of Israel. Made up as, have I said, the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. This was the group who had planned way back in Mark chapter 3 verse 6 as to how they may kill Jesus. And so they've had this in their heart and mind for the longest time. Not about how they may just put him aside, but they may put him under. And so here we see them come now and ask Jesus, who had just entered the temple again. You recall they would go to and fro Bethany each day, in and out. And well, here on this day, they are now met with this elite group called the Sanhedrin. And verse 27 says they came to Jesus. Here is the attack. And they ask, look in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? This was a perfectly legitimate question to ask. I mean, they kind of had every right to ask this question. They were the religious leaders of the nation. And inside the temple was this man who was clearing house, who was teaching in the temple. You see, the Sanhedrin were responsible for the spiritual well-being of Israel. They were obviously failing miserably at that because they were apostate. They had apostatized, having deviated long ago from what God prescribed and had become, as Jesus previously indicted them upon, He said, you had become experts at laying aside the commands of God and replacing them with the traditions of men. So they have apostatized from God's plan, but they were nonetheless responsible. They were the ones in the position of leadership and authority to ask such a question from Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things or who gave you the authority to act this way? This is somewhat analogous to somebody coming into our church and trying to creep in unnoticed and start teaching false doctrine. As elders, we would look into that so as to refute those who contradict, as per Titus 1.9, and to protect the flock from error. Since, as elders, we're responsible for the care of the flock, we would be in the position to approach that issue should it arise, and it would be perfectly legitimate, and you would expect that. And so the question here by the Sanhedrin is the right question under the circumstance, but that's about it. That's as far as it goes. For these apostate religious leaders had ample experience with Jesus. They had ample evidence from Jesus. But what are they referring to when they speak of these things? Who gave you authority to do these things? Well, I certainly believe that what Jesus did the day before would factor in majorly. Look back at verse 15 of chapter 11. Then they came to Jerusalem and Jesus entered the temple. And we remember what he did. He began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats who were selling doves. He wouldn't permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? And so that specifically is in mind certainly when they ask who's given you authority to do these things. 
But more overall, and in a more general sense, it certainly was the authoritative aspect of his ministry as well. As Jesus had ministered all through Galilee, as he'd come into Jerusalem, the concept of authority was very prevalent. We've seen it time and time again in Mark, and by way of reminder, I want you to show you that. So flick all the way back with me to Mark chapter 1, and look at verse 21. This is the very beginning. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Verse 22, they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority. And not as the scribes, not as the members of the Sanhedrin. Look down at verse 27. They were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Look over to Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 14. And Jesus appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Verse 15. And to have authority to cast out the demons. Look ahead now to Mark chapter 6. And look at verse 7. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So, Jesus teaches with authority. He forgives sin by authority. Did I miss that one? I skipped over that one, did I? Mark chapter 2, verses 15 to 12, sorry. And it happened that while he was reclining at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them and they were following him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Well, that's interesting. Verse 10. Thank you. Yeah. Man, my head is spinning up here. Thank you. Yeah, five. (laughs) I began reading in 15. Wow. Yeah. The son. Yeah. Thank you. Verse 5 of chapter 2. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit, they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiving, forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk, pick up your pallet and walk? But so you know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your pallet and go home. Thank you. So Jesus teaches with authority. He forgives sins by authority. He casts out demons with 
authority. And he even gives the twelve the authority to go out and exercise authority. And so when these Sanhedrin come and ask Jesus this question, it's not as though they have not heard or even witnessed his authority. They knew and they knew that the people knew. Because they would have heard the cries repeatedly from the crowd. He has authority. And so here stands Jesus inside the temple again under attack. Matthew in his account and Luke in his account tell us that Jesus wasn't simply standing there cruising around the temple or loitering. But he, that, that he it was in fact teaching scripture inside the temple. So this question here is an attack. They'd planned to kill Jesus earlier on in Mark. Both the political and the religious elite devised the plan to kill him. And so they came now trying to lure him and to capture him. And what makes this scene so powerful is that you have a scene where Jesus is standing in the most authoritative place in Israel. The temple. Before the most authoritative group in Israel, the Sanhedrin. And he is about to give just a peek into his own authority. And so no surprise that when King Jesus arrives, after having just exercised some of his authority the day before, clearing the temple, and is now exercising it now, then and there, in teaching inside the temple, which he openly calls his father's house. It's no surprise that we see first an attack. I want you to see next, number two, an answer. An answer in verse 29 and 30. In Mark chapter 11. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you will answer me. And then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, you might say, well, Matthew, <laughs> that sounds more like a question to me <laughs> instead of an answer. And you just wanted another A for your outline. That's true. I did want another A for my outline. And yes, Jesus did ask a question in verse 30. But what Jesus is doing here is answering like the rabbis often did in this day. They would answer with a counter question. It was common practice back then. People don't really do it these days. So dear husband or dear wife, when you answer the question with a question, that they're not totally evading you. It was a common practice back then. And it was a common technique. So here Jesus wasn't avoiding or evading them in any way. When you and I do that, we aren't evading necessarily, but rather, like Jesus is here, he's seeking to get to the bottom of the matter. He's answering their question with a question himself, and it's remarkably brilliant. Verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Note first. But the promise that Jesus makes in verse 29, he says, if you answer me, I will certainly answer you. He promises that. 
But this question puts the ones on the attack on the back foot. They came seeking to entrap, but now they're literally trapped. And I want to show you. You ask, how so? Well, Jesus isn't talking about the disciple, John. Imagine your minds ran as appropriate to the John the Baptist. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, the man who Jesus said was the greatest man that ever lived. And when Jesus uses the term their baptism of John, it's actually a term to convey John's entire ministry. Not referring specifically just to the placing underwater. It's a term referring to the entire ministry. And so the question is, was the ministry of John the Baptist from heaven or from man? Answer me. Was it from God or was it just fleshly? Was it from the power of God or was it just from the pathetic attempt of man? Answer me. It's quite fitting for Jesus to mention and use John the Baptist here. Because if you think about it, what was the MO? The modus operandi of John the Baptist. Sure, it was this call out in the desert in camel's hair to repentance and the call to baptism. But what was the hallmark of John the Baptist's ministry? It was to declare that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus from Nazareth is the Messiah of Israel. And so Jesus, by rabbinical answer, is asking those who came to attack him, is what John the Baptist said about me, that I am the Messiah of Israel, the Lamb of God, is he speaking from God when he says that, or is he just speaking from man? Answer me. You can imagine the scene, right? The temple is literally packed. Don't think of the temple as empty. It's 35 acres with hundreds of thousands of people. And it is literally jam-packed with pilgrim, Passover pilgrims. Jesus had cleared the temple of the money changers and the merchants the day before. No doubt causing a gigantic stir. The people, we read in Luke, they rush back. The next day, they want to hear Jesus teach again. And so you can imagine the scene. And while that's all happening, the highest authority in the entire nation of Israel comes asking about his authority and also where he gets such authority from. Where, what is the source of his authority? And now as a result of Jesus' question to them, which, if you think about it, really in and of itself illustrates his authority again. As a result of that question, the Sanhedrin are literally now exposed before the watching world inside the temple. They are forced now either to affirm or deny the ministry of John the Baptist as either being divine or delusional. And that leads us to number three, an avoidance, an avoidance in verses 31 and the beginning of verse 33. Look at their response. They began reasoning among themselves. 
reasoning. In reaction to Jesus' challenge to them, they now respond by gathering up in a hypocrite's huddle. You can hardly call it a holy huddle. And then look at verse 31. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? They begin to dialogue among themselves. They were totally in a dilemma now. No doubt the people are watching on. No doubt they have an expression upon their face that is just conveying their utter uh, shock. You have the religious elite in a bind in front of the people of their own religion. They immediately gather up into a group. They debate among themselves how they might respond in a way that satisfies the people. Look back. Why the people? Why is that their great aim? Well, look back at at verse 18 of chapter 11. I trust they get this one, right? The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. Why? For they were afraid of him. Why? For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. They wanted to destroy him, that is, kill him. Because they were afraid of him. Now, why were they afraid? Because they were astonished at his teaching. But but let me show you. Turn with me to John chapter 11. Look at verse 45. John chapter 11. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw that he had what he had done believed in him. But some of them, that is the people who just witnessed what Jesus had just done. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They weren't afraid because Jesus would like physically hurt them. But because they would lose their influence among the people and their prominence and their economic comfort and their ease. Back to the hypocritical huddle in Mark. So we see in all of that that the fear of these of the Sanhedrin was anchored in that people would actually believe in Jesus, in what he does, in who he is, the Savior, the one in whom salvation alone is found. And so they're truly caught out here. And it's here that we truly see an avoidance. Let's look at the rest of verse 31. He will then say, then why did you not believe him? You see what's going on here? They are trying to protect themselves from ridicule. They're trying to protect themselves from ridicule. The people themselves knew that John was a prophet sent from God, and so they feared an uprising if they said that John was just a man and ministering from 
man's ways. And so what an expose all this is. And we see there, in their answer, the true heart of what's going on. Beginning of verse 33. Answering them, answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. We do not know. That's their answer. The religious leaders of the nation, that's their answer. We do not know. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7 and look at verse 28. This is Jesus' words. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They knew But their pride and their apostasy and their hypocrisy and their hatred prevented them from telling the truth in this day. What a disgraceful answer of pragmatism, as D. Edmund Hibbert put it. A disgraceful answer of pragmatism this day. The religious elite were caught red-handed. They were caught red-faced in their own hypocrisy. They disqualified themselves anew. Instead of pointing the people to Christ, they feared losing the approval of the people and they just played pragmatic games. We do not know. A shameful avoidance. John the Baptist called these men vipers. He called them snakes. They were full of hatred for the truth and it was their hatred for the truth and their love of self that resulted in such an answer. The religious leaders before their people, we do not know. That is a lie. And the result of such carry-on leads us into the fourth and final heading I want you to see this morning, an absence An absence. In the end of verse 33 of Mark chapter 11. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Here, we see Jesus purposefully withhold what they need. He told them earlier, if you tell me, he promised them, if you tell me whether John's words about me were from God or man, I will then tell you the basis and the source of my authority. But they failed to answer the question. And instead, they answered dishonestly. They lied. And because of that, Jesus doesn't give them the request they ask for. 
And that's probably one of the scariest things about this entire encounter. It was their ignorance. Sorry, it was not their ignorance that prevented them from answering Jesus honestly. But their impenitence, that is their stubbornness. And what we see here quite terrifyingly is that if you are unwilling to deal openly and honestly with Jesus, He will reach the point where He will no longer deal with you. Turn with me to John chapter 5. Keeping you busy. Look at verse 18 of John chapter 5. For this reason, therefore the Jews, that's the Sanhedrin, were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. And He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If alone I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know not that and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John. And he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He 
was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me and the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice nor at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me, whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I came, I come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If any, another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For, you, for if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That is Jesus' indictment upon the religious leaders of Israel. He's been given all authority. It's interesting in more ways than one, that Jesus chose to use John the Baptist here in his answer. John the Baptist came preaching repentance from sin and preaching that the one coming after him is indeed the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world, that is not just the sins of the Jew, but the sin of the Gentile. And when John the Baptist was baptizing... We read this in Matthew and Luke. That the Sanhedrin sent priests out from Jerusalem to investigate what was going on out there in the desert. And as they approached, Matthew chapter 3 verse 7 says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and you recall what then happened immediately after Jesus was then baptized by John and while coming up out of the water the heavens opened and a voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what? Listen to him. Don't question him. Listen to him. This Sanhedrin on this day heard that voice. Listen to him. If you sit here, unconverted, don't question him, listen to him. 
We've all been made in the image of God. Each and every one of us. Every person in this room and every person in this world, no matter what religion, no matter what place, we all share in the Imago Dei, the image of God. But there is but one King who is all sovereign, all supreme, and every knee must bow at His kingship. And what those religious leaders did this day was fear man and lie to God. They feared man and lied to God. They said, we do not know. When they knew full well. This kind of thing. This kind of response, this kind of conduct is characteristic not only in the life of the Sanhedrin, but also in the life of what I want to call the religious unconverted. Nothing but leaves. They make a profession, but they have no possession of the Lord Jesus Christ and of saving faith. Speaking to this, the old Anglican minister, J.C. Ryle, said this, quote, speaking of the religious unconverted. And you know what I mean by that. They tack on church, Christmas and Easter, or when they're in town. But they're nothing but leaves, lost, awaiting the judgment of Jesus. J.C. Ryle said this, quote, When pressed to attend to their souls, they say things which they know are not correct. They may profess to be right with God, take communion or whatever else. And JC continues, but they love the world and their own way. And just like the religious leaders of Israel, they are determined not to give them up. End quote. You see, on that day, in that week, in that temple... The king of kings was in their presence. Calling for them, weeping for them, pleading with them like the gracious king that he is. But when this group, bent on his death and his arrest, questioned his authority. Even then he still extended mercy to them. He told them that he would answer them. But due to their unwillingness to be honest with themselves... They proved that they were, as has been well said, unable to be honest to Jesus. For the religious unconverted, nothing but leaves, no fruit. For some of you within earshot of my voice, this is all... Not simply a question for you of validity. That is, of Christ's claims, whether or not they're valid or not. Because you give intellectual assent. This is a question of authority. You know who Jesus is and who he says he is. 
Validity is not the issue. What prevents you from truly, finally, submitting your life to King Jesus and to His authority and coming before Him in all humility, letting go of whatever it is that you hold so dear in order to gain one who is dearer still, is your desire. Will you let go of what you truly love and submit to the authority of King Jesus? The King who came to die. The King who went to the cross. Who died a substitutionary death in the place of all those who believe. For the religious unconverted, would you come and be converted by King Jesus? For those of us that have bowed the knee, for those of us that have come to the foot of the cross of the King and been saved, that we're more than just leaves on a tree awaiting judgment, but there is fruit. Fruit of repentance. Fruit of a trust in Christ. May we take comfort in knowing that we serve and are willfully and joyfully subservient and in submission to a gracious King. It's been well said that The freest person on earth is the one who makes himself a slave of a perfect master. The one who makes himself a willing servant of a perfect king. And our Jesus is all of that. And so when he tells us to do something, we out of joy do it. Our king's call and our king's commands are not burdensome. We must go and serve our king and we do so from delight. But if you sit here unconverted, holding on to some form of religiosity, I want you to understand that that king will execute perfect justice upon you. And that king, while he is the king of heaven, he's also the king who pours judgment And throws people into an everlasting hell. And so we've journeyed through this narrative where Jesus' authority has been questioned. Please do it no more. But lay it all aside and come to the King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to be children of the King. Father, we acknowledge that you are indeed the gracious God who sent your Son into the world. His authority was questioned, his motives were attacked, and he laid down his life, taking great joy in doing your will. I pray for 
any person here who sits outside of the kingdom of this wonderful king, that they would this day, in this moment, in their seat, give their life in the quiet of their heart, in full commitment and trust, willing to abandon anything that they are holding on to. And lay aside the rubbish that they treasure and replace it with the true joy of following, pursuing, seeking, obeying, delighting in King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.